everybody, and welcome back to Beware the Artist. I am Jeremy Jersa, and with me this week, I have Katie Pumphrey. Um, Katie, if you want to Hi. tell us a little bit about who you are and what is it that you do. Sure. Hi, I'm Katie Pumphrey. I'm a Baltimore artist, artist that lives in Baltimore, um, and I primarily call myself a painter, um, but I definitely get into installation, and I'm starting to mess with sculpture, which is super weird and scary. Um, my paintings are mostly large scale, but I like playing on a small scale as well. Um, I usually describe my work that it, uh, I'm typically exploring the connection and tension between chaos and calm. So I think a lot about um, the roller coaster of emotions that we feel and might be very familiar with in this current moment and this week. Uh, the roller coaster of emotions we feel and uh, not only how we kind of go through that or especially in the height of chaos, you know, how do you kind of find steady ground or um, how does the moments of calm balance it out or how do you get through it or how do you prepare yourself for the next wave. Um, but also been in the past year or so I've been thinking a lot about that with kind of the sense of humor we tend to attach to things so. Um, you know, the sarcasm we bring to a stressful day or the jokes we make um, in uncertainty and stress. Uh, you know, especially right now, I feel like we're all passing around a lot of memes about the election. And, um, you know, while like stress might be very real, while fear might be very real, um, we use humor to get kind of through that. So I think a lot about um, my paintings. How can I get at those very real, very, uh, stressful feelings, whatever it might be, um, with a bit of play or a bit of lightheartedness. So um, while I think my paintings can be like kind of can come off very aggressive or um, a lot of movement and that's all that chaos. And I, I think a lot about sound in my paintings. So maybe they're very loud, um, but there's still that hint of uh, an out. There's still a hint of like humor in the title or the colors or the there's moments of the of flat color that give you a breath. Um, so I think my work has definitely gotten more abstract in exploring that because I don't want to be too leading um, of what it is that's that stressful thing or what it is that's the chaos. It can be whatever it is for you. Um, so that's a, a lot, a lot of things uh, that I'm thinking about in my work. But I like that abstraction really lets the viewer have their own experience. So I think that's. Um, a lot of what I'm exploring but at the end of the day if you look at my painting for more than two seconds and have some kind of feeling or some kind of connection then I feel like I'm on the right track. So a lot of um, what you do is inherently based in abstraction I mean you're, you're talking about these larger ideas and, and trying to find a, a universal language um, um, for this what exactly are the the kind of parameters that you're placing on the paintings um, to, to make these choices, to make these decisions? How are you saying this needs to be calm, this needs to be more chaotic? How am I applying the paint? Um, do you want to talk a little bit to that process? Sure. Um, I mean, I feel like every painting kind of starts from a different place. Um, a lot of the times in my studio, I'm working on like eight to 12 paintings at once. Um, you know, whether they're all out at once, leaning on the walls, or um, I might have some in like timeout that are turned around or hiding somewhere. Um, that kind of helps me compare them to one another. So 
I feel like even when I'm working on one painting really directly and figuring out which direction is this going to go, is it going to be a quieter painting? Is it going to be loud? Is it going to, um, you know, what kind of energy is it bringing? Um, often I compare it. And I think a lot of the times I end up creating a body of work for a specific show. Um, and in that context, I feel like I am always thinking about how you walk through the gallery. And my experience of solo shows or um, just, just recent shows that I've had, I, I definitely am planning each piece for that particular spot on the wall. So for most exhibition, most solo shows, I've been building you know, a model of the gallery and then really thinking about how you walk through it. So I don't want every painting to be the same volume. I don't want every painting to um, lean towards the same colors, although I definitely have allowed myself to settle into some colors more than others. Um, but I feel like kind of they inform each other in that way. Um, and, and as far as each piece, like I, I sometimes start with a color palette in mind. Sometimes I start with an overall composition in mind. Um, but often, whether it's in the beginning or in the problem solving along the way, while my work is still very abstract and non-image based, I'm always using images. So um, I definitely feel most comfortable when I'm drawing from a source. And so there's, that's, I think the line quality in my work has come a lot from drawings where I'm drawing with paint. And while you don't need to see that imagery, that imagery that I'm working from um, kind of just ended up being another tool, you know, tool in my uh, pocket <laughs> like that I, um, you don't need to know what it is, but it, whatever that image was helps me kind of build the form or the shape or kind of general sense of movement or the space. Um, I mean, I definitely image wise, I pull a lot from um, images of like big clumsy animals or um, packs of animals like hunting dogs. Um, I definitely work a lot from photographs of my dogs um, and typically like various sun shapes. So I'm always taking photos of spaces or um, people or my dogs that are kind of interacting with like natural shapes. Um, and so that kind of helps me like pull almost from like a color catalog, right? Where you're kind of what color is the best solution to this problem. Um, and I feel like sometimes the imagery that I pull from is just my shape resource. Um, so I definitely, I mean, my work used to be a lot more representational and I found that super limiting. So I'm trying to let myself, let, let those images go, but also I've been thinking about bringing them back and um, playing with like the, a little balance in both. Um, I never want my paintings to feel like a scavenger hunt for imagery. So the moment that people start really seeing things and then it's like, oh, it's that, is it that? Am I right? I'm like, sure, it's whatever you want it to be. Or you know, like, just experience it or. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's where I don't want it to be too leading. I mean, when my, when my work was super image-based, you know, like very clear, a bull running. Mm -hmm. um, it's very satisfying to render like that. Um, you know, and every like the painter tingles of like, ooh, I rendered a porn. You know, it's like it's fun. Um, but the conversations I had at openings or just a studio visit or anyone, ten the questions tended to be like, especially that someone that didn't know me 
um, just like a random person that happened to walk into that space. Um, the questions were always about me, you know, and the bull, like, did I grow up out West with horses? Are you a horseback rider? Mm. Um, hunting dogs, like, did you raise hunting dogs? It was like, no, <laughs> I'm just using those as a tool to get at something. Um, you know, the bull, I think a lot about this uh, like big heavy mass running towards you and you the viewer, are you gonna have some kind of fight or flight response? So now my work, I, I, instead of painting a bull, I feel like I've been trying to get at that same feeling, but it's more like this massive energy, this power, very similar to like a boulder rolling down a mountain towards you. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you gonna do? Um, but if I were to paint a boulder rolling down a mountain, it wouldn't be as satisfying or fun or interesting to look at. So <laughs> there's, I definitely, um, I find abstraction a lot more challenging and engaging. And now the conversations I have with people are always about them. And I love that. I love that they look at my piece and have a whole experience, a memory of, um, they go somewhere. Mm -hmm. so I, I think, like I think what that. you're kind of keying in on is this uh, conversation between a, a kind of universal visual language that you're, you're trying to provoke in, in the viewer so that they can, they can enter the piece. Um, when I first, when I first came across your work, uh, you were in a show, I think it was a solo show at uh, Creative Alliance. And I first saw uh, your rugby paintings and I was really um, attached to that because um, me myself uh, being a rugby player, um, I was like, oh, someone's bringing rugby into art. I, I, I love this. Um, and you yourself are an athlete. Um, you're, a, you're a swimmer. Um, do you want to talk to kind of what you do in terms of swimming? I, I know you've swam the English Channel and you're training for that now. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I think the show you're talking about was a two-person show actually with Alexander Torres. She's an amazing sculptor. Um, and she was, she was a competitive tennis player growing up. So we actually talked a lot about uh, how does like a competitive drive or just like the that like physicality that you're used to like problem solving um, in our work, even though our work is very different. Um, and she was making these sculptures that were like very much like a, she had this big giant uh, spinning top that looked like very much, I mean, it was like 10 feet tall, it was gigantic, that it could be released at any moment and squish you in the face. It was amazing. Um, and I had a, yeah, I had a couple rugby pieces and rugby was interesting because I loved the idea that all of this movement and power is happening, but because it seems so chaotic, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of, a, a lot of language in there. When I was painting other like racehorses and things, people always wanted to know which racehorse it is. And I was like, I don't know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like It's just mm -hmm. a horse. Um, so that was really interesting, like pulling from different sports. I mean, I've never played rugby. Um, and I actually purposely, when I was working on those paintings, watched a lot of rugby. I went to some games, especially in Patterson Park, um, and purposely didn't learn the rules. Like I, I picked it, you know, you, you pick up on them, but I like wanted to just experience it. I was like, what's gonna happen? It was super fun, very amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a swimmer. And uh, so I grew up swimming and um, I think definitely in high school, like as I was like really getting into art and really getting, I mean, I'm still into swimming, um, art kind of took, took over and I decided to go to Micah um, 
you know, and going to an art school without sports was definitely this like new world um, that I was very happy to enter. Um, <laughs> but I kept swimming and all through Micah, all through undergrad, I was lifeguarding and teaching some lessons and, you know, having a part-time job like most do. And uh, I, I feel like just, just as like always working towards like the next competition or, you know, I needed a physical goal um, while I was doing all that stuff. And I think with undergrad being so overwhelming at times or, um, you know, challenging in general, I needed some, some kind of goal that made sense of like, I'm gonna train for this and this is like the next point I'm gonna get to and then I'm gonna get to here. Um, and so that's how I got into open water. So I signed up for the Chesapeake Bay swim right after graduation and loved it. And I'd never really done open water before, like maybe one time when I was like 10, don't remember it. But um, I got out. I remember the first thing I said to my mom, she was standing there, I was like, oh my gosh, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I want to do it again. <laughs> um, and partly it was one of those things of like, I get it, I get it now. Uh, and now I know how to do it better. So, I mean, I definitely like feel a lot of connections between my work and the way I work and swimming. Um, but swimming can be the thing that uh, complements it all, I guess, and definitely informs. I mean, a lot of my work, definitely that like emotional roller coaster comes a lot from swimming. So, you know, after doing that first open water swim, then I got into a little bit longer one and then a little longer. And then um, when I started thinking about training for like a 15 mile swim or longer, that's when I really started thinking, okay, um, you know, I'm gonna look at the English channel and see, you know, it's the mother of all open water swims. So what would it take to get there? And part of that was like, versus working towards just one goal, it was gonna take like several goals to get there. How and long is that. that swim? So that's, the so English channel is 21 miles in a straight line but you most often swim in an S um, because of current. So I covered 37. Um, I don't know if I could even walk 37 miles. I, mean, I wouldn't recommend it, that sounds long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's 14 hours, 19 minutes. You start, I started at three, like 3.15 in the morning. So it was super dark, um, super terrifying. Um, and there's nothing you can do other than just like keep swimming. Um, what what are the know. thoughts that are going through your head when when you're you're doing something like that? A mixture of a lot and not a lot at all. Um, the way that I swim and a lot of marathon swimmers do is like I basically swim for an hour and then I have my first feed. So a feed is when you're drinking or eating or um, talking to your crew in any way, like you're picking your head up. So my husband and a friend of mine and my dad, they were all my crew. So you have a boat right next to you for all these swims. Um, and on board is like the, you know, referee, essentially your observer, making sure that you're not breaking any rules, which the rules are very simple. It's like, don't touch anything. Don't touch anyone. You have to start beyond water, finish beyond water. That's pretty much it. Um, that, and you can't wear a wetsuit. So, um, you know, after that first that's, that's hour. in itself, just not wearing a wetsuit. You had to be freezing. Oh, it was freezing. Yeah, it's the coldest I've ever been in my whole life. I mean, I definitely trained for it. I gained like, you know, 10, 15 pounds for it, um, which was really fun, <laughs> eating a lot of ice cream. Um, but yeah, after that first hour, then I basically feed every half hour. So my thoughts definitely like range, but it's kind of a half an hour at a time, you know, so there's a lot that 
you can wander to, but the more I wander, typically the more I slow down or I get colder. Um, so a lot of the times, which sounds super boring, but it goes by quickly, uh, I count to four over and over and over again. <laughs> so, um, and even so, like even within the half hour between feeding, um, I swim for 25 minutes at pace. And then my husband throws up a little go sign or if it's at night, he like flings some glow sticks at me. Um, so it makes this little symbol of like sprint. So then I do a five minute pickup sprint. So the last five minutes of every half an hour are like, I'm trying to really crank it, which helps me stay awake and stay warm and get a little alert. Um, and then you try to keep your feed pretty short so that you're not drifting or um, getting colder. And and your husband, he's a he he was a water polo player, correct? Yeah, yeah, and he's talking about getting back into it, which would be super cool. So so um, two swimmers right there. <laughs> yeah, and we we met coaching swimming. Um, we met on a pole deck, and uh, and he's he's an open water swimmer too, but he likes shorter, faster distances. So. Um, which so I jokingly was, call this thing feeling sprint. like uh, what was that feeling like when you first arrived on shore after after you swam 14 hours you, you get on shore what, what's the first thing that happened well um, yeah in the English channel I mean I, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions I the beginning like I was seasick and vomiting for like four or five hours in the beginning, then it, then the sun came up and it got super beautiful. And like the sun was like a little bit warm, but still the water is like 60 degrees. So, um, and the air temperature was, you know, low to mid fifties, I think when I started, maybe it got up a little closer to 60, but then, so towards the end, and it, there did reach a point where I knew I was gonna finish in the beginning, like not so much. <laughs> um, but and you, you train for all this, you know, like I said, you, you train for the cold, you train for the distance, but, um, towards the end, especially as I got like a little closer, I kind of, I missed this point. And so then I, which a lot of swimmers do. And then I had to swim like another five miles or something. So I knew that at where I was based on like kind of how I could see France, I was like, all right, I'm going further. Um, but as soon as you get a little bit closer, then the water starts getting warmer because it's shallower. So then I was like, yes, I am getting closer. This is awesome. Let the warmth wash over. I mean, it's like probably a half a degree difference, but it feels like amazing. <laughs> um, and so any all swims, I have a rule of like swimming until my fingertips hit sand twice. So uh, the last hour I was probably like, you know, let's fucking go. <laughs> like just the, every, every stroke, like, oh my gosh, go, go, go. Um, so the moment my my fingers hit sand, I do two two touches because sometimes there's like a dip and you gotta swim another like hundred yards. Um, little sandbars that trick you up. But um pretty much once my hands hit twice and I was like, you know, oh my gosh, just like get to the standing point because you have to get beyond the water and then you raise your hands and then they blow a horn and then you're done. So um standing was really hard after that long of swimming. Um, and being that cold, I definitely fell down a couple times. And then, um, yeah, I kind of just like ran as much as I could until, cause the water went away. And then, um, yeah, threw my hands up. My dad was like waving an American flag on the boat. <laughs> I was like, I've landed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know, it was wild. I just kept saying like, oh my God, oh my God, I did it. Oh my God, you know, um, but the wild part about having to swim in a little further that I missed this point. Cause if you land on the point, which is a little bit closer, 
um, it's like rocks. Like you basically land on like a rock wall and you gotta climb mm -hmm. up, which I was looking forward to. I was actually hoping I was gonna get some kind of a gash and then have a scar and then be like, <laughs> yeah, this is from Inkstale. <laughs> okay, so I, got, I got a tattoo instead, but um, the beach that you land on, it's like, you know, it's like a tourist beach. So I landed and all of these French tourists kind of ran at me and they're all speaking French, which I don't speak, unfortunately. <laughs> and um, one woman did speak English and she was like, did you just swim from England? And I was like, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and then she told, she like told the little crowd around me and, um, and I started, you know, you, you could technically, you can only stay in France for 10 minutes um, before you gotta get back on the boat and go back to England. Um, like the French Coast Guard knows you're there. They kind of wave and sometimes they check passwords, but very rarely. Um, and uh, by the way, you want to get back to the boat because it's cold and you're standing there, you know, tired. Um, but I, I wanted to, every swim I grab, which is a very marathon, open water swimmer thing to do, I wanted to grab a couple of rocks to take back. So I was like, kind of like looking around frantically and this woman was like, what do you need? What can we get? And I was like, rocks. And she was like, she wants rocks. And like told the whole <laughs> crowd that I wanted rocks. And so I think I found one. And then this little kid found another one. And then um, another woman found this other one. So I have, a, I have a cute little stack of three rocks from France. But I love that. <laughs> it's very cool. Um, when you're kind of, uh, you're training and training and training, I feel as though that kind of approach to, the athleticism that, that needs to happen is, is a similar approach that, that you have to your studio practice. Do you see any, any parallels between the two? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely, in both worlds, I thrive on a schedule. Um, and I feel like, you know, being a full-time artist, people have this idea that I kind of just like paint whenever I want and, you know, get here and wait to be inspired. But, um, no, as we all know that artists, we, we get to work, we have deadlines, we have ideas, we want to explore them, there's lots of steps to it. Um, so I definitely notice like swimming, if I have a, a more strict schedule, um, you know, it's easier to stick to it versus like swimming sporadically. And then suddenly three months have passed and I barely swim, you know? So um, similar with the studio, I, I thrive on, I'm gonna get here at a certain time, leave at a certain time. Um, you know, sure, deadlines come up and then I'm here longer, but I try to operate like a regular work week schedule. Um, and so both having like a strict and like sometimes semi-strict, but you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Workout schedule combined with the studio schedule, they both, it just, it needs to work together. So um, like right now, definitely because of COVID, like I haven't been um, swimming as much or I haven't, you know, there's been like changes in my schedule. Um, so I noticed that, I mean, it's definitely like even my stamina changes, um, cause both require, you know, both swimming and my studio practice require such a physical commitment, um, especially working large and I build my own canvases. And so it's like the things that I'm doing every day, it definitely drains on my body. And so if, if I, you know, have a really big workout in the pool, I know that that's going to affect my day in the studio. So I try to complement my training schedule to my studio schedule. Um, and like right now, while I'm not, while I am training in the long term, I'm not really training hard right now. Um, I try to do a lot more of the physical stuff in my studio, like prepare surfaces and, and all of that. Now, my, my next question, it has, um, it has kind of two parts. 
Um, and I feel like these are two kind of um, big questions that, that many artists kind of go through in their career. Um, basically, the, the first question is, um, at what point did you start to kind of identify yourself as an artist and say, look, I'm an artist and um, you're accepting of that and acknowledging of that. And then at what point did you decide that this is my full-time career, this is what I'm doing and make that kind of distinction for yourself? Yeah, um, it's a good question. The, when did I decide I was an artist? I think pretty early. I mean, I think even in just, pretty much like when I went to high school, I knew I was gonna like, okay, I'm gonna take as many art classes as I can and I'm gonna try to go to an art school. Um, so I think pretty, pretty early in my teen years, um, I decided that. As far as like the professional side of things, I mean, even throughout Micah, I had no idea what being an artist would look like. Um, I definitely wish that more people in my life and in school and mentors, I, I wish that more people would have said, you can just be an artist. You can be a full-time artist. There's more paths to that. Um, and I, I definitely wish that more people would have said that. And I have been like shouting that from the rooftops to young people now, especially with social media. There's so many ways to be an artist now. Um, but I assumed in my teenage years and even throughout Micah that I was gonna have to have some kind of like a side job. Um, and, and I did for a long time. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, I've been full-time as an artist for six years, I think now. Um, and every single year has been different. So, um, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I am sure I will continue to learn a lot. Um, I feel like the more artists talk like this, which is awesome that you're doing this, um, the better we all get at it. Um, so I definitely, I'm glad I went full time when I did because I, I did not have savings. I did not plan for it well in advance. I was just, and, and I still coach swimming here and there on the side, um, but that's more for my sanity. It's not mm -hmm. really a, financial thing um but the decision to go full-time was like I I've heard a lot of artists talk about like you should have this much in savings and this plan and I just feel like there's so much you can't predict mm -hmm. um so my plan when I went full-time was to have a couple different milestones to work towards and so I think I I, I went full-time in January of 2015 um and so my strategy was like okay I'm gonna make it till the summer and if I am like out of money and have no plan by the summer for the next couple months then I'll get a summer job you know then I'll get some kind of a short-term something while I figure it out um and I was coaching a little bit in the summer so it kind of worked out for me as a nice test and then I was swimming the English channel so the English channel actually was a the biggest push to go full-time because I was training so much and I just couldn't balance it all. Um, and I was so tired from training and so stressed. I mean, now, like I am working towards another English Channel swim and I have done several big swims since, um, which my swim, my English Channel swim was August of 2015. Um, that was a big year, 2015, big year. Um, but now when I approach, like now I've just done enough swims that it, it's, it's still a big deal. It's obviously still very stressful. It's a lot of work, um, but it doesn't take over as much. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm trying to, to balance the two a little better. 
Um, but also know that if I, you know, like right now I have my next English Channel Swim booked for July 2022. So that will impact the shows I take before that or um, things I apply for or, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just, I mean, for me, I definitely have decided along the way of becoming a full-time artist that being, you know, a committed as best I can um, marathon open water swimmer is, is, is just as important to me. Um, and so I, I have been trying to be better about like when people ask like, oh, what do you do? You know, I've been trying to say like, I'm an artist and an open water swimmer, both work mm-hmm. together. <laughs> like it's a, not a, not a normal title, but it, it's, it works for me. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't know. The, the decision to go full-time was definitely a scary one, but um, I just kept saying the worst case scenario, I'll get a job. Worst case scenario, I'll get, a, I'll do something else or add something to it. Um, I knew I would always paint, but, uh, and so far every year, I've definitely like, every year's gotten a little better. I've learned more, um, but there's still things like I change every year. There's still mm-hmm. things that, um, you know, but in the end I'm, I'm working towards my bigger goals. And um, so when it gets hard, and I say this a lot to, to fellow painter friends, um, you know, I know that I'm on like a path and yeah. whether that path is like, always a smooth ride is like you know it changes so either way i'm on it so you know we're yeah, I, I think one of the, <laughs> the biggest things is is being open to that journey um that was so hard for me in in, in kind of the beginning of my uh, kind of coming out of school and 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 just entering the, the art world in general um i would see so many of my my friends doing well and and kind of comparing my journey to theirs um Whereas that's not the case. It, it's it's not a, a straightforward shot. You know, it, you have these pivots that, that you need to go through and, and just being accepting of that and aware, I think is half the battle. Um, and I always like to ask the question about um, someone determining when they call themselves an artist. Because for me personally, um, I was, I didn't call myself an artist until I was halfway through grad school. Um, I, I always looked at art as, as something that I did and something that I was doing. And I, I always wanted it to be a part of my, my career in, 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 some, in some regard, but I, I never really um, kind of had the, the, the inner authority to say, oh, I'm an artist. And, and I think that, that just that declaration gives, gives artists so much more confidence to, to own it. You're owning an aspect of yourself. And, and I think that's really nice to, to hear that from early on, you're like, I'm, I'm an artist and, and I wanted more people to tell me it, it, you can do this as a, as a career path and um, have that kind of confidence. I, th- I think that's, that's great. Um, one thing that I, I, I think is really interesting is the, the cyclical kind of um, the swimming and then the painting, they, they all interact with each other. Um, and and that's, that's so nice to see kind of coming through as um, an identification of, of you um, as the artist. That it's a part of you and, and you're not shying away from it. They're not separate parts of your life. They, they all feed one another. Um, and and that, that's, that's, that's just great. Um, when it comes yeah, to- Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to be better about it though. I yeah, mean, there's, yeah. there's part of me, I think, especially as I, a couple of you know, years ago when I started working towards abstraction more, you know, I wanted to keep myself out of it. And I, and I think that's, helped me and held me back in some ways in my work. I mean, I've always wanted my work to, to stand on its own and you never need me standing there beside it, you know, telling you about it. And even when it is about me, I've never wanted my pieces 
I've never wanted a painting to be about me. You know, mm -hmm. that you could still connect, even though it is, or even when something is personal gets in there, I've always wanted you, the viewer, to be in it on your own. Um, but at the same time, I, I think there are experiences of mine that help that help me make the work. Um, so I have been trying over the, especially the last like two years, maybe to start bringing in swimming and letting it be there more obviously. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely always there, um, but it's, it's, I feel like it's a fine line. Cause I, I, I don't want to, like, I feel like paintings being about the artist always gets a little romanticized and um, I want it to be about the piece and I want my I want my swimming to inform that um mm -hmm. but I and I, I think it's I think the swimming is um informing the process rather than just the um the final imagery um yeah I'm, I'm speaking more to like the thought patterns that go into it your your application of paint how you are developing this thinking um methodology that you have going into the piece um but not necessarily in the, the kind of visual the final visual representation um, so I, that's what's really um, exciting for me to, to see that that kind of uh, cross pollination happening um, in the work. If if uh, if you wouldn't mind me asking, um, who are some of the artists that you you look to for inspiration? Who who pops into your head here and there um, from whenever you're in the studio to when you're on the street? When who are who are you looking at? It's a good question. I feel like that is a question that I always. I don't know how to answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there are so many painters I feel like I am encouraged by and um, you know, I'm excited to see what they're working on now. I mean, definitely artists that are um, you know, still working, still getting at it. Um, but at the same time, I also look a lot towards um, swimmers. I, I, I mean, I feel like when I'm working like people always ask like, you know, what do you listen to or um, when you're working? And a lot of the times my answer is not romantic at all because it's like old reruns of something on Netflix so that I'm just <laughs> listening to dialoguing and not getting distracted. Um, but the way that, that athletes, which I tend to read like biographies and um, autobiographies of athletes is a lot of what I read. Um, the way that an athlete talks about their work often informs my work more than more than other artists. I feel like I look at artists a lot of how they're problem solving. Um, I mean, I definitely like, I, there's a ton of painters that I look at for painting. Um, you know, even even former teachers like Shangram, um, Dar, I'm looking a lot at his work, of, and especially how his work has evolved over time. Um, but there, there's like so many artists that I'm looking at that I, I can't, it's like I can't even think of them right now. Um, but Feel, yeah, I don't know, what, this, all of the things that inform my work just come from, the, I don't know, everything. I, yeah, I can't, I can't list. I see, <laughs> I'm always so bad at listing people because it's, it's, I don't want it to limit it. I don't know. No, I, I get that completely. Um, now, when it comes to giving advice um, to a future generation of creatives, um, you talked before about um, advice you wish you were, you wish you had received kind of uh, while you were doing your schooling and, and things like that. Um, two, two part question. Um, what is the best advice you've ever received as an artist? 
And then two, what is a bit of advice that you would like to give to a future generation of creatives? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, two, two things on the best advice I've ever gotten. Um, one being uh, my, one of my final crits as a senior at MICA, so senior to undergrad, um, a fellow painter said to me, Katie, no one gives a fuck about your personal journey. <laughs> no one cares about your personal narrative. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, very like personal paintings. Um, and while I don't agree 100% with what she said, um, it helped me remove myself from the looking part and like and you know like like i said I, I love bringing in my own experiences to my work i love following artists that do the same um but when you're not there and when someone doesn't know your bio at all or anything about the piece in addition you know what does it do and i think that's what she was telling me she was mm -hmm. like look at it from all she meant to say look at it from all sides you know, use your personal narrative, use these things that you're, you're getting at with the piece. Um, but also what happens when you're not there, what happens when you're totally removed from it, does it still stand on its own? Um, so that has been extremely helpful. Um, and I think even in like terms of using imagery, but the piece is still very, you know, abstracted or non-imagery based at all, I still see some of the images that I'm working from but I know that the viewer doesn't. So I try to like, it's kind of like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been trying to unsee it in some ways um, to get at that advice. Um, but in, in another thing that I, one of my favorite things that people, someone has told me um, was be your biggest fan. Um, that you have to be your biggest fan. No one else is going to jump on that train unless you're driving it. So, um, you know, and I, I think that's something that artists struggle with sometimes because we are constantly questioning ourselves, um, mm -hmm. which is just part of the, you know, the problem solving process. Um, and so like, yeah, being your biggest fan, I think, and that's why I've been trying to like celebrate more when I really finish a piece. Um, but just remembering, especially in the business side of things or the, you know, you're working towards those career goals and the past that you're on, like feels extremely hard. Um, I think just reminding yourself like, no, I'm on a path. No, I like, I am good. These are good. These are good paintings. You should all agree. You know, like that I think has really helped me um, get through some of those rough times. But I think there's, I think both are so connected, you know, it's like be aware to take yourself out of it and then like totally believe in what you're doing, even to a blind, like, uh, just like uber confidence kind of way, fake it till you make it kind of thing. Um, Definitely. <laughs> I think that has helped me a lot of like, especially when I make changes in my work and I've just keep telling myself like, well, this is really weird. And like, as soon as I let myself start saying like, this is weird, but I like it, or this is weird, but it's working. And I'm gonna keep going with it. That has been like super helpful. Um, so I feel like I would pass on all of those things that people have said to me, um, combined with uh, 
keeping in mind that the career as an artist will always look different from one artist to the other. Um, mm -hmm. It's easy to compare ourselves to other people. Um, and that's what, even like when I think about artists that influence me, I, I'm pulling from so many different parts of their work and career and the way that they talk about their work or the way that they're sharing it, um, you know, or how often they're putting out shows. I mean, there's so much that, you know, you want a little bit of this and a little bit of that um, for whatever works for you. So, and then in, in all of that, I always try to pass on the idea that being an artist, especially being a full-time artist, but even if you're not, um, you're driving two cars and one car is your work and how your work changes, how you push your work to new places, how you, you know, stand behind your work, no matter what's going on. Um, that way you're on that path and you're working towards your goals. That's one car and that car never stops. It is always moving. The other car over here, I like to think is like the business car. Um, you know, that, that's how you like pay the bills. That's how mm -hmm. you um, get things done so that you can keep driving this car. Um, and so the business car and the work car are side by side. They never merge yeah. together. They're on, they're parallel roads. Um, and I, that has helped me a lot. And it's helped me a lot of like what decision is impacting the other. And there's certainly times that they might get a little closer and you gotta check in on yourself. Um, but the business car doesn't always go at the same pace as the mm. other car. So that idea has helped me a lot that I'm still, I'm still driving both cars. And the fact that as an artist, you are driving both cars is, is exhausting. It's a lot of work. Um, the more pressure you have on the business car to feed yourself, um, yeah. you know, the harder that feels to drive, but, um, being a, being an artist is wearing lots of hats and driving lots of cars. So, um, accept that <laughs> and like get good at driving both, you know, but it, both take practice and both take experience. And, uh, I have loved the advice I've gotten and, um, happy to pass on more. I think that's, I think that's the, the, the perfect, uh, I think that's the perfect place to stop with this, uh, this conversation. Um, Katie, it's been amazing talking to you, um, learning more about your work, learning about your process. Um, it's always nice to see you. Um, if you want to uh, shout out real quick where people can find your work. Sure. Yeah. Um, my website is katiepumphrey.com. Um, follow me on Instagram, katiepumphreyart. Uh, and I'm always happy to talk to people about my work or um, you know, I, I honestly think that the more artists talk about the business side of things, about that car over here, um, the better we all are, um, you know, and that the better the world is going to be to us. Um, so I love that you're doing this. This was really fun. And uh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. And everyone, make sure you tune in next week to see our next episode. Thanks. All right. Yay. See you, Katie. Bye. Bye.